Are you ready for the end of the world? Listen to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of family, the circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. Listen to your community spirit every Friday morning from 10 to 10.30. Are you ready for your community spirit? The show about caring, sharing, and preparing. This is Orda Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. And I only have one happening. Ah, one happening, eh? Yeah. People must have not been sending in their happenings. Tonight, Cinema Underground, which of course is supposed to be this big secret, but everybody lets everybody know that it's happening. But they always have these really cool films. Cinema Underground will be doing it up Friday night, which is, guess what, tonight. Come out and hang at 10 p.m. at the Big Muddy IMC, which is just around the corner from where we're at. Yes, 214 North Washington. The two films will be Benjamin Smoke and F for Fake. Benjamin Smoke, uh, there's there's been kind of, with Cinema Underground, they've been trying to show films on a regular basis. There's been a ramshackle attempt to made to screen some full-length films, but mostly they've been doing, like, tidbits from all kinds of films, which I thought that was a very interesting format. People would pick out the best, what they liked from a film. But they've been getting so many requests to see, you know, some full-length films. So the last feature-length film they screened was Delphelia's High Mom, and it went over so great that they're having... So having the red-blooded American capitalist mentality, we do. We are going to do a good thing and going to double it. Hmm. Two films, back-to-back. The first is a film that we had a lot of positive feedback on when they did their musical documentary night, and a lot of people had no way of watching. So our first picture will be Jen... Cohen's experimental portrait of Benjamin Smoke. And the next is flat out one of the coolest edited films of the 70s and a huge middle finger to high art world and the idea of an expert. Hmm. It's the last film that he finished and is certainly better than those Paul Mason commercials. Orson Orwell's documentary essay, F for Fake. Okay, the time and the place again. 10 p.m., a Big Muddy Independent Media Center at 214 North Washington Street in Carbondale, Illinois. Oh, here we go. Just to let you know, today is when is... Today is... I just forgot the date. Ah, uh, today is the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 8th of June. <laughs> Today is Friday, the 8th of June, the 159th day of 2007. Yes. <laughs> there are 206 days left of the year. 
On just to let you know, this week somehow we missed International World Environment Day. Ah, uh, oh yeah, I saw that on the calendar in the middle of the week, and I, I thought, you know, I didn't even know. I knew about Earth Day because everyone knows about Earth Day. But the UN has World Environment Day, and we in the U.S. celebrate it so little. Me and you, as supposedly tapped into the environmental mm. movement, didn't even know about it. Yeah. I heard about it the day after <laughs> because they were like, oh, on World Environment Day, you know, this environment bill got rolled back and this one got rolled back because, you know, us in the U.S. didn't realize it was World <laughs> Environment Day and just happened to roll back some bills yeah. on those days. <laughs> so, And then this week has been... Um, in 1982, Israeli forces invaded Lebanon to drive the Palestinian Liberation Organization fighters out of the country. Um, Israel withdrew in um, June of 1985, but this week in 1982 was, you know, a big war. Mm-hmm. So, where Israel took over Lebanon for three years, or a section of it, so... All right, are we ready for some happenings? One of the biggest happenings of the last week has been NASA's... Ah, yes, NASA's great global warming whiteout. <laughs> <laughs> As if his idiotic statements about global warming last week on NPR weren't quite enough, we got more hot air this week from NASA Administrator Michael Griffin. First, Griffin reprised a, a tried-and-true beltway tactic of simply blaming the media for reporting the stupid things that stupid people say. (laughs) I mean, how do they dare report controversial comments on matters of pressing global concern from individuals at the highest levels of government? The nerve of those do-gooders at NPR. (laughs) Second, Griffin tried to clarify his remarks by pointing to NASA's mission statement, commenting, quote, It is not NASA's mission to make policy regarding possible climate change mitigation strategies. What he conveniently forgot to mention is that NASA's mission statement used to include the sentence, quote, to understand and protect our home planet. Which would be a good statement for, you know, someone who's planning to travel out away from the planet. Yeah, if we're going to, because I've always felt this, you know, if we're going to go to other planets, then we should at least have figured out how to take care of the one we're on. Otherwise, we're going to just go destroy all the planets. <laughs> hey, let's be kids and... Okay. Yeah, so the mission statement used to include the sentence, quote, to understand and protect our home planet. That line was often cited by the preeminent climate scientist, Dr. James Hansen, as the rationale for his important work on global warming, the same work that NASA officials repeatedly tried to stifle or suppress. And how exactly was that part of NASA's mission sent the way of the glaciers, you ask? Why, it was quietly removed in February 2006. They just removed that statement on the orders of none other than, ah, wait for it, guess who, NASA Administrator Michael Griffin. Ah, that sneaky guy. Finally, the administration went three for three by announcing that it was pulling the funding for a badly needed new set of satellites to monitor the Earth's changing climate. Instead, We'll have to rely on data from Europe. You know, the same Europeans whose climate deal we torpedoed at the G8 this past week. 
Next thing you know, the EPA is going to justify itself by following Stephen Colbert's advice and removing the words environmental and protection from its name. EPA stands for Environmental Protection? Yeah, Environmental Protection Agency, supposedly. Oh. Environmental Pollution Agency? Well, they do a good job of, you know, letting and trying to not regulate polluters. (laughs) So... I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of like the Department of Labor. You know, they created the Department of Labor in order to uh, be a holdback to the more radical forces who wanted actual power for workers. <laughs> it's like that Environmental Protection Agency. You know, uh, something to say that they're doing something to prevent the radical environmentalists from having a voice. Well, that's like companies who have the word environmental in their name, <laughs> and they're companies that spray for bugs. Yeah, <laughs> that's very very common. To be something environmental, you know, with the word environment in it, and what they're doing is they're going and they're spraying chemicals for termites or, you know, bugs on your houses or around your lawn or in your house, fumigating the inside of your house, and the word environment is always in the name of the company. Yeah. (laughs) I just realized that. Okay. Speaking of the G8 summit, which happened this last week... We're sorry, Angela. G8 participants report climate agreement highs and lows. We can't possibly do justice to the intricacies of this week's G8 summit in this little space. So brace yourself for some injustice. German Chancellor Angela Merkel wants the G8 to agree to cut greenhouse gases emissions 50% below 1990 levels by the year 2050. U.S. President George Bush just really doesn't dig that plan and wants to involve China and India in a vaguely defined long-term solution. (laughs) Bush and Merkel met, after which media around the world reported that her climate hopes were dashed. Quote, there are few areas here and there we continue to work on, she said. Today, a glimmer of hope surfaced after Bush met with Tony Blair. The outgoing British Prime Minister emerged from that chat saying he hoped the G8 would agree to cut on the order of 50%, without, you know, using any actual numbers. <laughs> Said Bush, we are deadly earnest about go- getting something done. The U.S. will be actively involved, if not taking the lead, in post-Kyoto framework. The G8 will issue a final climate communique today. Today. Straight to the source, New York Times, Houston Chronicle, Associate Press, The Times, the 7th of June, 2007. So a uh, long-term solution. I wonder if that's going to be like his long-term solution to the war on terror. And there's actually, uh, interestingly enough, somewhere in here, let's see if I can find it, there is one about China starting to actually do something about climate change. Let's see. Yeah. Sounds familiar, that one. Should we jump ahead to that? Let's keep climate change on the topic. Yes, climate change. Sounds familiar. China releases first climate plan, says economic concerns are key. China has released its first ever national climate change plan, a 62-page document that pledges to improve energy efficiency, increase the use of renewables, develop drought-resistant crops, and expand emissions-absorbing forests. But the country's leaders emphasize that they don't want to sacrifice economic growth. Quote, We must reconcile the need for development with the need for environmental protection, said Ma Kai, 
head of the National Development and Reform Commission. Quote, In its course of modernization, China will not tread the traditional path of industrialization, featuring high consumption and high emissions. I have to stop there. China actually is building a new coal-powered power plant about every two weeks. <laughs> so I guess that's the, the path they're not treading, but apparently I. <laughs> well, I mean, they are doing a lot more renewable energy than we are in the U.S., but at the same time, they are growing exponentially. So, yeah. you know, they're trying to balance both of them. But actually having a plan is more than we do. More than we do. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And they also say, in fact, we want to blaze a new path to industrialization. He also called on the world to, quote, respect the developing countries' rights to develop, noting that industrialized countries have a, quote, unshakable responsibility to fix the problem they created. Some predict that China will overtake the U.S. this year in greenhouse gas emissions. But who will lead the way in shirking? <laughs> Straight to the source, The Guardian... Reuters, twenty or sorry, fourth of June two thousand and seven. At least he pronounced it right. Bush announces climate plan. World squirms uncomfortably. Now I said we didn't have a climate plan, so I'm going to read about how Bush says we have a plan, but we don't have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> the world gave George W. Bush lemons, and he made some delicious lemonade. Bush said the U.S. will take the lead on the climate issue, conveying a series of meetings of the world's top 10 to 15 polluting nations and setting long-term goals for cutting emissions. And I could have sworn that's been happening already called Kyoto Protocol. <laughs> so we are going to lead countries that are already leading. Well, let's see how that works. Hmm. Coming among amid criticism that the U.S. is actually blocking potential climate progress Right now, at the w news seems sweet, but those who sipped his lemony concoction got all puckery. The, quote, the declaration by President Bush basically restates the U.S. classic line on climate change. No mandatory reductions, no carbon trading, and vaguely, vaguely expressed objectives, said European Union Environmental Commissioner Savaris Dimas. Tony Juniper, head of... Friends of the Earth. Hey, his name's Mr. Juniper, and he's head of Friends of the Earth. <laughs> that's pretty... <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that's a requirement. If you get an environmental job, you have to have an environmental name. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, well I don't Bush doesn't have an... Oh, uh, he's got an environmental name, but not an... <laughs> okay, so that ruins my theory. Oh, well. So let's see, where was I? Tony Juniper, head of Friends of the Earth UK, called it, quote, a delaying tactic that would push the climate issue onto Bush's successor. Making her own lemonade, German Chancellor Angela Merkel said, quote, what is positive is that we can see from the speech that nobody can ignore the question of climate change. Straight to the source, the Washington Post, Reuters, the 1st of June, 2007. All right, and in other news, well... At least no one got zero. California, Vermont, Connecticut at the top ranking of energy-efficient states. Less than a week after California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger declared at an economic summit in Canada that clean energy is becoming the basis for a new gold rush, his all-star state has topped an energy efficiency ra ranking 
issued by the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy. Looking at eight factors, including transportation policies, building codes, spending on efficiency programs, and tax incentives, the ACEEE, also known for its Green Book Ranking of Vehicles, developed a 44-point scale on which California scored 33 points, tying with Vermont and Connecticut for first place. North Dakota bottomed out the list with a pitiful .5 points. Noting How can you get a half a point? I don't know. Maybe there was something like a, a scale. We'd have to look at the details. So like, I wonder if they get negative points. Maybe they had like a... That's true. Maybe they got negative for something. But maybe they had like a compact fluorescent bulb in the state capitol. And they'd be <laughs> like, we'll give you half a point for that. <laughs> Noting the national disparity, ACEEE is calling on Congress to enact federal efficiency requirements. Says Deputy Director Bill Prindle, quote, Given the stakes that we as a nation face, global warming and energy security, it's not sufficient to let a few visionary states lead while the rest of the nation lags. Straight to the source, the Vancouver Sun, 1st of June, 2007. I wonder where Illinois is on that ranking. Maybe we can try to find that out for next week. We'll just have to go to that website. They have some really good, like, literally, if you want to see what the greenest car and the most fuel-efficient car, if you go to that website, which is, I think, just ACEEE.org, the American Council for Energy Efficient Economy. So, clean water is highly overrated. Ah, <laughs> uh, who needs clean water anyway? Bush administration limits reach of the Clean Water Act. If you assumed that the Federal Clean Water Act should apply to all bodies of water in the U.S., well, you just made an ass out of you and me, because you assume. <laughs> you assume. The Bush administration unveiled guidelines that say only bodies of water large enough to float a commercial boat and their adjacent wetlands can get automatic protection under the law, while decisions on smaller streams will be made on a case-by-case -case basis. The new rules attempt to provide guidance in the wake of a Supreme Court decision that found justices split on whether to limit the act. Quote, in effect, the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers are taking their field staff and the public out of the woods, blindfolding them, spinning them in circles, and telling them to go west and calling that guidance. Man, that was str some strong words there. <laughs> Says John Devine of the Natural Resources Defense Council. Democrats in Congress have introduced legislation that would clarify and, get, and again widen the scope of the law. So they're going to pass a bill, they pass a bill that made it so it doesn't apply, and then they're going to pass another one to try to get it back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They do funny things. But why, why have clear guidance when you can have arbitrary decision-making? Straight Somebody's to the source. the waters. <laughs> <laughs> Straight to the source, Planet Arc Reuters, the 6th of June, and the Associated Press, the San Francisco Chronicle, the 5th of June, 2007. All right, in other news, Glade Runners. No, that's not Blade Runners. Glade Runners. Florida Utilities Commission rejects the Everglades Area Coal Plant. The Florida Utilities Commission voted unanimously this week to reject a proposal for building the nation's largest coal-burning power plant there. The $5.7 billion project, put forth by Florida Power & Light Company, was booted primarily on economic grounds. 
but since it would have been located near the Everglades and was all coaly, the opponents rejoiced. Quote, The Public Service Commission today made the right decision for the environment, the right decision for the Everglades, and the right decision for Florida, said Governor Charlie Crist. Stephen Smith, head of the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, said, quote, It is time that FPL gets serious about investing in energy efficiency and clean energy, which will not threaten the future health and safety of their customers. Oh, Stephen, you wacky card. FPL protested that pollution controls would have made the facility, quote, one of the cleanest coal plants in the nation. As if that's saying much. <laughs> it has five days to ask the commission to reconsider and 30 days to appeal the state Supreme Court. Straight to the source, South Florida Sun Sentinel, the Palm Beach Post, 6th of June, 2007. Reminds me of one of my favorite sayings, the only clean coal is unmined coal. Gets me in a lot of trouble around here sometimes, but uh, I like that saying. Please don't beat him up after the show. Give me a good running start, you know. <laughs> Can hemp dashboards be far behind? Union leader Ford called for green progress in Detroit. Could Big Auto actually be shifting gears? Speaking at a business conference in Michigan's car-free Mackinac Island, Ford Motor Company chair Bill Jr., Bill Ford Jr., and United Auto Workers president Ron Gettelfinger both addressed the need for Detroit to get with the green program. Quote, Unfortunately, there is an impression among the car-buying public that the big free build nothing but gas guzzlers, while Toyota is a division of Greenpeace. Gettelfinger said, If the auto industry continues to see, be seen as dragging its feet on environmental issues, it's going to hurt our brands and vehicles in the marketplace. It's not only going to, it already is. The stock of the big three is plummeting. That's uh, That was an editorial, sorry. Hmm. Ford said his company will push to fight that perception and get in a little told-you-so moment. When I talked about the environment 20 years ago, or frankly even 5 years ago, many people thought I was eccentric at best or perhaps incredibly naive." End quote. With the key Senate debate on fuel economy set, it actually happened June 11th, I have another article here. I wanted to read this one because this was like a, a, a conference where Ford was saying we're going green. Yeah. And then there's this other one. On June 11th, there was um, this key Senate debate on fuel economy standards. And well, that, the one I just read was straight to the source, the New York Times, the Detroit News, the 1st of June. Now we're going to update it. You got that one? The wine of the motor? Yes, the wine of the motor. <laughs> so basically, Ford had a conference... Now, I liked it that the head of the auto unions was saying, we have to not only say we're being green, but actually go green. <laughs> I like that quote, that in people's mind, Toyota is a division of Greenpeace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how he envisioned it. Okay. Yes, but now the next story on the same subject, uh, the wine of the motor. Big Auto pleads for smaller gains in fuel efficiency. The heads of Ford, GM, and Chrysler returned to Washington, D.C. 
this week to try to convince Congress not to hike the fuel efficiency standards. Next week, the Senate will consider a proposal to raise average fleet-wide mileage to 35 miles per gallon by 2020. By 2020? Yes, 2020. Not like next year or in five years yeah. or ten years. Long way But away. 13 years from now. Lucky 13. <laughs> <laughs> and the current is 25 miles per gallon. This would raise it to 35 miles per gallon. Several bills have sprung up to float more modest increases. At least two, including one co-sponsored by Representative John Dingle, contain escape clauses for car companies. It's a Dingle clause. Yes. <laughs> escape clauses for car companies if the new standards prove too difficult to achieve. So, well, <laughs> we'll have these standards, but if it's too hard for you, you don't have to do it. Anyway, while the industry acknowledges that some increase in efficiency is due, mileage requirements for cars have not changed since 1983. And actually, our level of car miles per gallon is lower, the average is lower than it was when Ford made the Model A. Yep. Because <laughs> it, it got almost 30 miles to the gallon. Yeah. So of course, you only could go like 40 miles an hour, but still. Yeah, still, it was efficient. And uh, technology has apparently gone backwards since then. GM CEO Rick w uh, Wagoner said the current proposals, quote, don't look achievable. Well, if it's achievable for Toyota. Yeah, if Toyota could do it, if the Model A can do it. If a division of Greenpeace can do it. Yeah. <laughs> there's that, you know, don't look achievable. Ah, there's that American can-do spirit. Yeah, we can... We can we can't do not it, yeah. achieve what they were doing at the turn of the last century. <laughs> Faced with the usual litany of industry concerns, including health care costs and trade woes, representatives were less than receptive. Quote, I think the issue is over, said Senate, Senator Byron Dorgan. Quote, I think you've lost the issue. I think your position is yesterday forever. <laughs> <laughs> yesterday forever. Straight to the source, the New York Times, the Washington Post... Associated Press, 7th of June, 2007. Now I got another interesting green article. This is actually from a magazine called Seed Magazine. Yes, I was going to read this one, so I'm glad we're getting to it. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of the Green Wall of China? I hadn't, not until about five, ten minutes ago. Yeah. The Green Wall fends off encroaching desert. What started out as that other wall of China has finally come to fruition after a series of major setbacks. The Green Wall of China, as it's been dubbed, is in, in, is in essence a living wall composed of trees, shrub, and grass that was built in Taipusi in Inner Mongolia to f block off the Gobi Desert and to curb sandstones blowing over Northeast Asia into the United States. Officials also hope to tie it in with their renewed environmental push for the Beijing Olympic Games, which will be held in the summer of 2008. Quote, We are pretty confident it will be effective, Hu Chon, Inner Mongolia's vice director of forestry, told a group of journalists invited from Beijing. Already, the number of sandstorms have been reduced. He said, pointing out that the number had fallen to zero this year from 18 in 2001, a figure that has been contested by scientists who claim that four sandstorms were recorded in Beijing this past March alone. 
Anyway, a combination of factors including population pressure, overgrazing, and extended drought have contributed to the steady expansion southeast of the desert at a rate of about 3 kilometers a year, heading directly for Beijing. Kun hopes the wall will put an end to it for now. Quote, So far we've had some successes, he said. The desert is being held back. However, the ecology of this arid land is very delicate and the desert has been expanding for decades. We have just begun our job, so we will need more time. And it showed a picture of literally this sand dune that was probably ten stories tall above a tree that was, you know, like one story tall. Like Uh a whole bunch of trees, like a whole line of trees. And it was like these soldiers... Like stopping the desert. stopping the sand, <laughs> and I just any second that whole pile of sand is going to fall down onto the trees. <laughs> but it's like a forest of trees. It's like rows and rows of trees. Yeah, the soldiers just <laughs> they're stopping the sand. That's and how so, strong the trees are. And they just keep you know adding more. So if the sand covers the first few rows of trees, they've added a few more in the back, and they just keep adding more in the back. Yeah, hopefully you know trying to keep it from stopping. Yeah, so. that's something a lot of people don't realize. I mean, you'd think it'd be basic, but uh, there's a lot of knowledge, at least some knowledge now, about desertification being a problem around the globe in various areas. But people don't know that there are ways to stop it, you, you know, planting trees, for example. Well, desert is caused by people cutting down trees. Yeah, the desert got there because people cut down the trees, they developed, you know, they over-farmed, they did bad things to the land. And if you apply you know, green growing principles, then you can reclaim it. Nice. So again, don't forget the happening Cinema Underground tonight at the IMC. They will be showing two films, Benjamin Smoke and F for Fake. F for Fake is Orson Orwell's, I think it's his last documentary he made. That's what they say. So have a good day. If you want to, if you miss part of the show, we do have a website. We do yourcommunityspirit.org if you want happenings to like happen because we announce it and more people show up you have to email it to us info at yourcommunityspirit.org or next week I almost forgot to mention next week I'm not going to be here because I'm going to the world's largest renewable energy and sustainable living fair sounds like fun the 18th annual they're expecting Last year they had 18,500 people in a town of 300. Hmm. Imagine where I live in Pomona. All of a sudden having, you know, this year there'll probably be 20,000 people. Yeah. Just show up, well not just show up, but you know, come appear <laughs> to an event. That would be like in in Pomona I live near what the Shawnee Saltpeter Cave and they have music festivals. If 20,000 people showed up there. Hmm. It would, like, take over the whole town. It would. That'd be a lot of people. So if you want more information about the Renewable Energy Fair, or, that's me, (laughs) if you would like to catch a ride, my number is 618-893-1717. I do have a very big van. I can fit a couple more people. I will introduce you to 20,000 people who are interested in renewable energy and sustainable living from all over the world. I sold something to someone from Jamaica last year, from three countries in Africa, from someone from Italy, and then, of course, that weird state all its own, Chicago. (laughs) 